Welcome to Hymn Talk, a discussion of hymns, singing, and theology in the life of the church. I'm Zach DePrima, and with me as always is my brother Alex. We are here for all of your Hymn Talk needs. Alex, we're, we've done a lot of these so far. We're, Have we? How many? Uh, we're around 30. Okay. Are we beating a dead horse? Uh, there's I I have lots of hymn books and there's tons of hymns in them so I I can just keep turning the pages we keep talking about hymns uh, so I got at least several hundred more in oh me. okay you and I are both holding hymnals right now what are we holding uh, I have in my lap this is a blue Trinity hymnal the Baptist edition which I think was adapted from the very well-known red Trinity hymnal that's used I think the PCA uses it maybe a lot of other Presbyterian groups use it but this is the baptist version of that hymnal okay i would say this is my favorite hymnal would you say this is your favorite hymnal i don't know this is the hymnal i grew up on and i love it uh yeah i suppose yeah well alex this relates to what we're talking about we're going to be talking about um singing in the life of the church but particularly singing acapella and uh singing music as as it's written but before we do uh you have a bit of an announcement something related to a book I would love to hear you talk about that. What, what, what is this? You're, you're writing something? Well, it has nothing to do with uh, singing a cappella or hymns. I, I just like to uh, brag on my big bro. I'm writing a book on uh, Charles Spurgeon's understanding of the role of good works, mercy, ministry, benevolence in the life of the Christian and the local church. Uh, what role that plays in the ministry of the church. Brother, why, why are you doing this shameless plug here? Like, this is a you podcast asked, about hymns. You uh, asked, man. Hey, well, I just... Well, bring... But while we're doing shameless plugs, uh, Matt Boswell, who writes a lot of songs, hymns, he was part of uh, His Mercy is More, several other songs, Christ the Sure and the Steady Anchor. He's a pastor in Texas, I think, mm. and he wrote his dissertation on Charles Spurgeon's uh, view of congregational singing, something mm. like that, mm-hmm. and has been uh, promoting Charles Spurgeon's hymn book and all of that. So that's... Matt Boswell, and you can go check out his stuff. So, so uh, your muse, Charles Spurgeon, has a thing or two to say about singing. Yeah, and so talking about congregational singing, uh, they used, or no, a cappella singing, excuse me, they didn't use any instruments at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. No organ. Nothing no at piano. all. Uh, he was, for most of his ministry, opposed to instrumentation, hmm. as were most of the reformers. Hmm. And then uh, he became a little more open, I think, toward the end of his life. But they never had any instrumentation. 6,000 people morning and evening singing a cappella. They would have like a, a pitch pipe or tuning, tuning fork. fork or something. They yeah. had what they called a presenter, which would be a guy at the front who would lead the singing. And he would... Oh, I would have been so good at that. He would sing the first like line, from oh, what I understand. I would have been all over and that. Then the, and then the audience, would have, or the audience, the congregation would have joined in in a cappella singing. Would that have been... Did he break from particular Baptist tradition in that way? It was No, it was not at all uncommon to have particular Baptists that just sung a cappella. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Well, Alex, I bring up your book just because, you know, oh, the places you will go. You're going to go on to do uh, bright and beautiful things. People will talk about you one day, but I just want to keep you honest. And the thing is, is those people who... Might read the tweets of Alex Suprema, might read the books of Alex Suprema, might hear a sermon of Alex Suprema. They don't see what I see. They don't see the fear. (laughs) They don't see the tears. 
They don't see the insecurity. They don't know the man the way I do. So just stay grounded, man. Stay grounded. Thank you. I'm counting on you to keep me grounded. So we've uh, digressed for far too long. We're here to talk about acapella singing. Alex, what does acapella mean? Uh, it basically means singing without instrumentation or just with the voice. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's singing. Uh, it's an Italian musical term. Yeah, you might see it in sheet music, but yes, it, it's it's uh, uh, songs that are sung without musical accompaniment. Alex, I, I feel like uh, we've you and I've always have loved a cappella singing, but it's mm-hmm. something we're doing a little bit more at Emmanuel Church. Mm-hmm. We're we're trying to train our congregation to sing uh, more songs without instrumentation. What do you suppose to be the value of a cappella singing? Well. Uh, not to be too meta about it, but if if you were to go to the average like mega church today, you might walk in and you might and the music's going on and maybe the lights are turned low and maybe there's a twelve piece band on the stage mm-hmm. and there's a few people singing and there's someone on the drums and the guitar and the bass and the piano and all of that. Maybe in certain churches you go in and there's a choir right. that's on the platform and you look around and there's some people singing, some people not. Okay, all that production, everything that's going on. Um, if you ask yourself, what of all the things going on here musically, what is prescribed by the revealed will of God? Mm-hmm. And I would argue the only thing that is prescribed in those sorts of situations is the singing of the congregation of God's people. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean other things we can't say are warranted or permitted. Right. I think it's warranted, permitted to have instrumentation to help us in our singing, maybe even to have a choir that is just a little more prominent than the rest of the congregation, a song leader whose voice is more prominent, or to have people harmonizing, whatever. But in terms of what God has expressed that he wants his creatures and his redeemed people to do, the only thing by way of his prescribed revealed will is that people sing. So what is the value of congregational singing? It matters to God who made us and saved us and redeemed us, and he has expressed that he delights in the congregational singing of his people to, 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 for him to, to receive, as the writer of the Hebrews puts it, the fruit of lips. Mm. Uh, so, and that's the scene in the end of all things, gathered around the throne, mm. singing to the Lamb. So uh, that's why it's valuable. Hmm. There's all sorts of other secondary reasons why it's valuable. It's edifying to us. Uh, it is pleasant in our ears. It uh, is especially helpful for children. <clears throat> I mean, there's a million things we could then say. Well, you, just to give you pushback, you, you say, because you're coming on so strong here. This is, this is hot acapella Well, no, you, you ask why it matters. The, so like, why, why is it valuable? And it, 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 there's no better answer I think I can give than it, it's valuable in God's eyes. Yes, yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. My concern is a little more pastoral, mm-hmm. and that's that people these days, kids these days, and adults these days, mm-hmm. uh, they're so unaccustomed to acapella singing, mm-hmm. to just hearing the voices of the brothers and sisters around them, they're so accustomed to a high production value in music that, golly, it's just so weird to sing without any musical accompaniment. Mm -hmm. How do you serve those brothers and sisters? How do you bring those brothers and sisters along to appreciate and to nurture uh, uh, the ability to be edified by uh, acapella singing? Yeah, weird is an interesting word. It's certainly strange. 
But uh, so much about the things of God are strange to the mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. man, you know. So uh, what's the passage in First Corinthians? Is it chapter 2 that talks about the things that are spiritually discerned, or is that a later chapter? Uh, but uh, 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 there, there is a glory to congregational worship that is discerned uh, especially by those who have been born again of the Spirit of God and worship God in spirit and truth. Hmm. And they can discern and detect and perceive a glory and an awesomeness and a mysterious blessing that comes uh, when, when God meets with his people in the context of their praising him. So... Yeah, I would expect what is going to make worship gatherings of the Lord's people awesome and glorious are going to be things that seem countercultural or somewhat strange to the outside world. Right. Um, that that shouldn't surprise us at all. Um, so 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 yes. Yeah, so uh, we had a, gr- a conference here last year uh, for pastors. About seventy-five pastors came. Uh, we had talked prior to that conference, well, what if we spent a lot of time getting like eight musicians together and rehearsing and really putting like our best foot forward with the music and mm-hmm. all of that? And we said, no, let's just scrap that. We'll just have, uh, I think we had just you leading up there, maybe on a guitar, and half the songs were a cappella. Mm. And among all the positive feedback we got about that conference, I think comments with the music were the, the most frequent. Mm. Um, guys from all kinds of backgrounds, saying it was just glorious to be in a room singing God's praises together, unadorned Mm -hmm. by any musical accompaniment. Yeah. Um, Do it. Try it. It's glorious. It's awesome. You got to get people to buy in and and actually sing. Right. But I don't think if you get people to sing and do it, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's much of an argument you have to make at that point. Hmm. Look, we we use instruments and intend to continue using instruments. I'm just saying... If if you uh, if you hear it and you taste it, uh, I don't think there's much of an argument that needs to be made. Hmm. What makes acapella singing particularly good is when people can sing parts, but most people hmm. think they can't they can't sing parts because they're not trained musicians. Would you affirm or deny that feeling? That uh, well, I, I I don't think you have to be a trained musician to learn how to sing parts, mm-hmm. and I think there are things song leaders can do that can help you know certain vocalists find the parts but i don't have it as a particular goal that every member of our church everyone singing learn the parts something like that uh like like as a matter of righteousness right that said uh i mean you're doing some things now to help our church begin to get a feel for singing and parts i'd be glad for you to share what a couple of those things are yeah Um, because i think it's been very helpful to our congregation yeah i mean a, a few things first of all if you have singing acapella as some sort of goal or standard or something you'd like to be doing more and more it's going to affect the songs that you pick so I would say it, it leans your song catalog, mm. and it makes the songs that you pick to be more reliant upon voices and the congregation rather than uh, musical production. Mm. So this kind of gets us away from a lot of praise songs and more songs that are uh, designed for the human voice, designed for people in a group to sing with each other. Um, so I think it's just it's it's it disciplines me as I'm choosing songs for the church. Uh, I think we've brought it up before on on this podcast, but I I, I affectionately refer to it as the Menikoff rule. Uh, Aaron Menikoff has told told me before if you can't hum the song in my study, then uh, we won't be introducing it to the church. Yeah, in a, in a way that's like 
discernible memorable discernible yes i can walk away humming this yeah that's, yeah. that's a good that's a good rule yeah so which just illustrates the, the only songs you're able to do that are songs that have a strong enough melody for a group of people to sing without accompaniment mm. so th- those are things that help uh, something in recent days that has been a huge point of focus is making sure that there's sheet music in the mm-hmm. bulletins uh, we probably sing five or six songs on an, an average uh, Lord's Day service. Uh, I'm trying to make sure three or four of those I'm able to have sheet music for. Mm-hmm. And to your point earlier about a congregation of untrained voices, people can discern tadpoles and music musical notation, and they can know if they're going up or down. And you'd be you're surprised. You're tadpoles because the notes look like they tadpoles. They look like tadpoles. Okay, take me a second uh, to process you, that. You'd be surprised what the average layman can do and, and how much they're helped by having that well, music Well, and also, if you if you do manage to get a substantial minority of your members singing in parts, mm-hmm. it, it has an accumulating effect. More mm-hmm. people learn it as yeah. they're sitting next to folks who are singing the parts. So there's a value to it. And there's, there's something glorious. I think God has designed the human voice to sing in parts. Yeah. And uh, obviously with harmonies and, and, and melodies and all that. Well, and, and as I often like to indicate on, on this podcast, you know, we're not experts necessarily on these things. We're fellow travelers. We're trying a lot of things out. Uh, so this week is, is one of the first weeks I'm going to have you know four part, a four-part harmony singing uh, a few of the hymns that we're, we're singing this. And I'm eager to see how that goes. So you know, what you're doing is having members in the congregation, right? Yes. Hold, holding, holding a mic mics, on a not, low volume. Not like, yeah, on a low volume to kind of give us a little boost. Yes. Something we're going to try. We'll keep posted on that. I mean, I think it's a great idea, yeah. and I've seen other churches do it. Um, but you got to do it in a way that doesn't overwhelm other people and think, oh, now let me listen how wonderful Kurt's bass line is. Yes. They're, they're thinking, they're feeling empowered and sort of, sort of like um, those voices are there. If you think about teaching your child how to ride a bike, they're kind of holding the bike for you, you know, the, the seat of the bike as you're, you're riding. And mm-hmm. eventually you want them to be able to let go of the bike and let you be off on your own and realize, hey, I can do this. Yeah. I can carry a bass line, you yeah. know? And I'm so thankful for that hand on the seat that I had from Brother Kurt, you know, as I was learning the bass line. Yes. But now I now I have it. Now I've got it. I, I think that's how most of us learn. I bless God for Joseph Bartosh, who was an older man or a middle-aged man in our church that just let me sit next to him every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he would sing the tenor lines quite loudly, mm-hmm. uh, but enough so that I could hear him. And it's how I know how to sing parts today. One more thing I would add is if, if you're choosing which songs to sing a cappella, you should probably sing the songs that your church sings best. Mm-hmm. So songs that your church loves, songs that are uh, spiritually, emotionally, personally meaningful to your people, uh, that they're going to, once that music goes out, feel very free singing that melody. So so on Easter, don't sing Up From The Grave He Arose a cappella. Yes, if that's the, the only time of year and, you sing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but that it, would be but hard if you to do. sing a song like In Christ Alone, mm-hmm. um, you know, hymns, uh, tunes that are easy to sing, tunes that are familiar with your people, Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. these are tunes that... I would lend themselves well to a cappella. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, what are your favorite hymns to sing without accompaniment? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Hmm. Um, the harmonies are great on that song. Brother, and I'm about was... to blow your mind. <laughs> first we're this first song we're singing this Sunday. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, uh, I'll Hail the Power of Jesus' Name mm. would be another one. You know, it's a great one that's not as well known is uh, Be Still My Soul. Hmm. Very powerful if you sing that song a cappella. It's not sung a lot in churches because the subject matter of the song is so specific. 
Right. It doesn't readily fit in a lot of slots unless you create space for it. Mm-hmm. But it's one of my all-time favorite hymns. Might might be my favorite mm. ever. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Those, those would be some big ones. Um, one of mine is Man of Sorrows. Oh, yeah. It's just perfect. So good. I can sing that song every Lord's Day. I can sing that song before I go to bed, mm-hmm. <laughs> where we have people over, before I, we pray I for the meal. I could sing it in a house with a mouse. <laughs> I, guess, I could sing it on a boat with a float. <laughs> <laughs> Another great one. Uh, I think we do pre- we do a cappella every time we sing it. Is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is great. A cappella is going to say built that. for it. How sweet and awful is the place is also very, very rich mm. uh, to sing a cappella. Yeah, there there would be so many. I mean, I, I think even we sing a song here called "Of the Father's Love Begotten." That's not so well known. Mm-hmm. It's actually associated a lot with Christmas because the incarnation is so prominent in the song. Uh, I love the particular tune we sing. That's very, you talk about it. I think that song, usually there's a, a large emphasis on unison for that song. Right. Which a lot of people don't like doing unison a cappella. I think it can be special in its own way. Um, but that'd be another one I threw out there. Well, Alex, our hymn of this podcast is a hymn that I've chosen because I think it's a great hymn to sing a cappella. Mm-hmm. And that is the hymn, Not What My Hands Have Done, mm-hmm. uh, written by Horatius Bonar. Uh, Horatius, he was a Scotsman uh, in the 19th century. He lived a very long life from the years 1808 to 1889. Uh, We sing another hymn of his very often in the life of our church, and that is Blessing and Honor. Uh, Might be my favorite song of praise that we sing sing in our church. I just find with these Scottish evangelicals, uh, they just don't make them like they used to. <laughs> these these brothers and sisters, they walk so closely with God. It's as if their face and their pen just shone uh, with the glory of God, and they were able to capture something in their poetry and uh, in their hymns. Uh, Horatius, he was actually the older brother of Andrew Bonar, and Andrew is most well-known, I believe, um, this is probably what he's most well-known for, and that is writing the memoirs and remains of Robert Murray McShane. Or if you're Sinclair Ferguson, Robert Murray McShane. Yeah, sure, Ma- um, McShane. Right, let me just say, because whenever that book comes up, I, I just want to say it's one of the most probably important and meaningful books I've read in my life. Yes. Uh, one of the most spiritually moving and instructive books uh, I I I would I would that every pastor and every Christian read that book. That's in that category. And I'll yeah, category it's in books. that category, and I, I I'm right there with you. I would I think there are three or four books that are like that that um, I wish I could just hardline into the bloodstream of every Christian and especially every man of God, every pastor. Um, it, it's just a wonderful book. It, Robert Murray McShane. He lived from 1813 to 1843. Um, I am 28 years old. Alex, you're 30, right? He mm-hmm. was 29 when he died yeah. and uh, was just mightily used by God. Uh, his One of the most famous quotes he has is, is what? A, a holy minister is a dangerous weapon uh, in the hand of God. Uh, if you want to understand how to walk closely with God, um, th- there are few better people. Uh, people from history you can go to than McShane. Yeah, fun fun fact about McShane, he was a hymn writer as well. He was a terrible hymn writer. <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> if, if someone out there really loves this hymn, Jehovah said, can you, you know, good for you. But I, he, his, 
His hymns, I just have to say, are pretty abysmal. I, I, I did think moments ago before we did did this uh, mini profile of McShannon. Well, what if we do Jehovah said, can you yeah, one day? I'm I like, would prefer that we not might, do that. Probably will never make an appearance on him. He talk. did not. The, the, <laughs> he was not imparted with the poetic gifts of his friend Horatius Bonar. I do want to read this quote from uh, the memoirs that that yeah. Andrew Bonar wrote. Um, I think it, it captures uh, what makes McShane so powerful and what makes this book so powerful. Uh, Bonar was a close friend and acquaintance of McShane, and uh, he wrote of McShane's incredible zeal and, and fruitfulness. Um, and he says, quote, he, he did not, he did occasionally set apart seasons for special prayer and fasting, occupying the time to set apart exclusively in devotion. And then he, he, he zones in here. He says, but the real secret of his soul's prosperity lay in the daily enlargement of his heart in fellowship with his God. And the river deepened as it flowed on to eternity, so that his profiting did appear to all. End quote. What made McShane so useful, what made McShane uh, so close to God, it was this unceasing commitment and fellowship with the Lord that he prioritized in his mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes out in McShane's life, it comes out in Bonar's writing, it comes out in his brother Horatius Bonar's writing, especially in this hymn, Not What My Hands have done written in 1861 alex the virgin we were familiar with is has five verses what do you like about this hymn uh we actually just sang this hymn for a sunday evening service and we sang it a cappella um and at that service when i introduced the song which we had just sung that morning as well with accompaniment i uh spoke about maybe some people listening to this podcast know who ray comfort is ray comfort is this apologist evangelist guy uh, I think he's Australian, and he goes around and he he puts a mic in front of people in a video, and he does these documentaries of, of him trying to evangelize. And r- at, at least the videos I've seen of Ray, he always asks this question, if you were to die right now and you were to appear before God, and he asks you, why should I let you enter my heaven, what should your answer be? And I don't think he asks that question because he thinks that's going to be the question God mm-hmm. or St. Peter asks us or something. I think it's a hypothetical to get you thinking. Right. But if you entertain that hypothetical, God asks you, why, why should you enter my heaven? I just don't know of a better answer than the lines of this hymn to, to say, uh, uh, thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. That's the second verse. The third ver- or first verse says, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. And there's, uh, throughout the next four verses, these emphases on what Christ has done. Not what I've done, what he's done. Not what I feel, but what he, he, he bore for me. Not, not, not anything, not the labors of my hands, but what his blood mm. has achieved. Mm. That's a great expression of the fundamental hope that belongs to every Christian. I would say that this gets to the essence of the mm. gospel. Mm. My faith being in what God in Christ has done, not the works and labors of my hands. Yeah, thinking about the experience of singing this hymn, uh, my one of my heroes, Charles Simeon, he always said that in every sermon he strove for three things, and that was to exalt Christ, to humble sinners, hmm. and to promote the way of holiness. And I think at least those first two, I 
feel acutely every time I sing this hymn. Mm-hmm. I, Christ is exalted, and I, I have a deeper sense of my own sin and my own unworthiness. But mm-hmm. once again, I'm looking. I, I'm I'm forced to look upon Christ. Uh, my Savior. Amen. So I, I'm deeply helped by this hymn. I think this is a hymn that every church should sing. The tune uh, fits the words just perfectly. Uh, I don't know the tune offhand. Oh, yes, it's Leo Minster is the title of the tune, but just fits these words. It's a perfect marriage. Uh, we'll we'll include the notes for the lyrics and for the or for the hymn text and for the tune uh, in the in the notes. Other than that, Alex, do you have any other thoughts on this hymn? Uh, I think um, there's lots of options in terms of the musical arrangement. I, I like the Leo Minster tune, but I mean in terms of how you set that arrangement. Right. I think there's there's opportunities to do lots of things with different instruments. And don't be afraid just to sing it a cappella. Mm-hmm. Sing it nice and slow. Yeah, uh, This song has space in it, and uh, each of the, the verses are so rich, uh, worth meditating on slowly as you sing it. So I uh, love this song. Commend it. And commend a cappella singing. Yeah. Try it. Give it a go and uh, see what happens. Well, Alex, many people have requested that you and I sing these hymns at the end of the episodes. <laughs> and uh, I was just thinking it'd be really appropriate if... We never do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> brothers and sisters, with that, we are out of time. Alex, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, brother.